Each week, uh, this Christmas Advent season, uh, we're going to unwrap a truth uh, that's related both to the first Christmas and also to our lives today. And we hope that whether you're here just today or whether you're here all the way through, that you're going to be connecting with us in some way each week leading up to Christmas and even on our Christmas Eve services, because each week is going to be amazing in its own way as we just unwrap a little bit more. Leadership guru and pastor Craig Rochelle has said it this way. He said, you don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. In that surrender, what we surrender to is of great significance. We can surrender to hope or we can surrender to hopelessness. We can surrender to faith or to fear. We can surrender to wonder or we can surrender to worry. And what we surrender to has significance because faith follows our focus. Today we will unwrap this. That by losing our focus on Jesus, have you lost hope? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the hope of Christmas. You are the hope of the world. And even in the midst of our lives, though, we can sometimes lose our focus and potentially lose that hope. And so today, I just pray as we talk about this subject that you would just bring hope to our lives again today, that those who maybe feel hopeless in circumstances or situations, that you would return hope because of who you are. We thank you for this in your name. Amen. Today we're going to see a tie of the crisis of hope uh, in the story of Christmas by seeing it connected to stories of those people that are involved in the very first Christmas. Christmas, though, is a scene that's in the middle of a much bigger story. See, the Bible's written in a, in a special way. It tells the grand story of reality, how we see the world, that it is for all time and for all people. That's why we can read scripture today that's thousands of years old in its original language and still have relevance for our, relevance, not relevance, relevance for our lives today. And these stories, they have elements that are primarily for them while also teaching us about God. There's stories for a nation of Israel and for the people of God, but then there's also stories of individuals. And these ones, they're just about them, i.e. Jonah. None of us is going to live the life of Jonah, right? Jonah is a one-off. None of us are going to be going along and hearing God say something to us and then deciding, no, I don't want to go that way, ending up on a ship, the ship going down in a storm, unless you get thrown into the water and eventually swallowed by a fish and then spit back up on shore, and then you finally do what God asks you to do. You're not going to experience that. That was for Jonah and Jonah alone. But there's a lesson of his life that definitely is for us as well, isn't it? And so we have that mix of seeing something that was primarily for them, but has significance and meaning and teachings for our lives today. So here's the scene that we're going to jump into. It's been hundreds of years, literally, of God being present, yet silent in human history. 
Now, God has worked in person, in a people group, through prophets and priests and tents and in temples, laws, a sacrificial system, all about forgiveness, all redeeming the most precious thing humanity has lost, unabated access to God's presence. The ability to walk in the garden with God that we've never been able to reclaim since original sin. This overarching God at work redemption story of humanity is evident even when we zoom in on individuals' lives, like Abraham and Sarah, a barren couple who have but God moment where he broke through and changed their reality. God breaks through the silence, which is something we'll see over and over again in Scripture as we look. Because God takes the initiative. He always goes first. And we see it again today in our readings. In Luke 1, 5-7, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. 400 years after God last spoke to the prophet Malachi, the next redemption chapter suddenly unfolds. Because Elizabeth and, and Zechariah, they've been praying for a child. And God, who has been remained silent to them thus far, hears their answer, or hears their prayer and answers them. As we continue reading, it says, Now, while he was serving as priest before God, and the way it worked was in, in the Levitic system of all the priests from the tribe of Levi, they would take turns serving. And, and it would go through a system of each different priest would have a time during the year that he would serve and he would go into the temple and do his thing. So they weren't constantly the same priest in the temple. They would rotate through. And it was his turn to be in the temple. Of all the times to be in the temple, right? Of all the times for it to be his turn to be on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and he fell, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And what I want us to do, though, is focus on how Zechariah responds. His faith, if you will, follows his focus. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, we need to break this down a bit, because there's a number of reasons why this probably should have played out differently. Zechariah is a priest in the temple offering incense or prayers to God. That's his job. That's what he's doing. You'd think that in that moment that maybe he wouldn't be the guy who's going to be like, really, God? Is that really going to happen? I need some proof. 
His whole purpose is to go into the Holy of Holies in that moment and worship God on behalf of the nation of Israel. Or the fact that an angel shows up by the altar of incense, which holds atonement significance. You'd think that maybe that would be enough of a thing for him to be like, you're here. Nobody's ever here except the priest going in in the presence of God. And yet there's an angel here. I think I can take your word for it. But he doesn't. He says, prove it. How am I supposed to know? What's the sign that's going to show that this is going to actually happen? Or the fact that he knew about Abraham and Sarah. This would be education 101 for them, knowing that the birth of their nation came through Abraham and, and Sarah giving birth to Isaac. They would know that this is the way it went. Of all Zechariah could have focused on, he focused not on what God could do, but what he and Elizabeth could not do. And we may think, we may think that with an angelic visit in that setting, and in, that, that's what we would do. We would be like, God, yes, whatever you say, that's what's going to happen. But in reality, in the real world, if our focus is not where it should be, I think we too would be skeptical, looking for signs and proofs. And Luke tells us the story of Zechariah, but the Bible, again, it's the biography of Jesus, not just of people. It's the story of God's redemptive plan throughout all of history, right? Not individuals' plans of redemptive history, but God's and how he impacts individuals and nations and people groups. And where Zechariah loses focus, God's gaze remains fixed. Where Zechariah lacks faith, God is faithful because that's who he is. As we keep reading, after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. God broke through the silence, and he began with a couple unable to conceive. And here in Luke's account, the story starts shifting to another couple. They aren't dealing with being barren, but they still don't have any kids. This couple, though, the reason is, is because they're actually just a couple to be. They're only engaged to be married. And the Bible is full of truth and people and their reactions to it. And often those stories are told to give us an example or a contrast uh, to the truth told. And sometimes one story will follow another to contrast each other for us to unpack the behavior that God seeks. And what Luke wants us to do is to contrast the two stories, the stories of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the story of Mary. Zechariah should have been elated. He should have been, he should have been excited for what God was going to do. He has heard and answered his prayer. Mary, while appropriately troubled, responds quite differently. Zechariah answers God saying, how shall I know this or prove it? I need proof that this is actually going to happen, which is really a response of unbelief. Well, Mary has similar emotions of fear and trouble, 
she never loses her focus on God. When we read her account in Luke, it says this, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. See how similar that is to the, to the other account? He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Notice the subtle but profound difference. How can I trust this is true differs greatly from how will God do this? And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Zechariah, a priest, was serving the Lord. And Mary was, as she says, a servant of the Lord. What we surrender to is of great significance. We can surrender to hope, like I said earlier, or hopelessness, faith or fear, wonder or worry. Our response, it doesn't stop God's, God's great plan that he has, but it definitely does impact our story. Faith follows our focus. By losing focus on Jesus, have you lost hope? As a result of unbelief, Zechariah for a season goes silent and probably even, even uh, deaf as well. As a result of her unbelief, or sorry, of her belief, Mary sings a song. And found within her song is hope for a weary world. Because in Luke 1, 49, we read, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Christmas is a story about God with us, not us with God. And today, sitting in church, watching, if you're online or listening, maybe later, it may feel in every way that you might be right there with God, that you're tracking with him, that this morning you're tracking with what's going on. Yet in specific, area, specific areas of your life or in different ways, you might be fearful of situations that you're facing. You're maybe worried about the future or for someone else. Or maybe you're just too plain busy and are already losing focus and thinking about tomorrow and what's going on. The goal isn't to take care of all those things, to check all those boxes off so you can be fully present. That puts all the responsibility on you to be fully present with God reality that just might keep God silent the story of Christmas isn't that we are always perfectly with God because we can never be perfectly with him the story of Christmas is better than that it is God 
in Christ, our Emmanuel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he is with us forever. He is present in our worries. He's present in our fears. He's present when life tries to catch our focus and take it off of him. He is with us. Why is he with us? So that he can be our ever-present focus, our ever-present help in time of need. He can calm our troubled seas. He can quiet our fearful hearts. Or he can be with us as we brave the stormy waters and as we face our deepest fears. He is with us today and he will never leave us. And that should give us hope. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. We just thank you that you are not silent today. We are not in a period where, where you are not speaking to our hearts. Your Holy Spirit is actively calling us to you, to see you present in our lives every step of the way, to keep our focus on you, because when we do, we are filled with the hope of what can be and what you are going to do and how you can sustain us through no matter what we face. God, this morning, would you help us shift our focus from the things of this world, from our fears, from our worries, from our busyness? Would you help us shift our focus from those things so we could focus on you? May we see that you are present, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And that no matter what we face, Because you are present with us, that makes all the difference in the world. And that can give us hope. Today I just pray for anybody that is here or hears my voice, that if they are in need of hope, that they would find it in you today you would restore hope in their hearts. Hope for their future. Hope for their loved ones. Hope for their healing. That you would restore hope because you are with them. As it is the first Sunday of the month, we choose this Sunday for us to share in communion. And if you don't have emblems of communion, just maybe wave your hand and our, our guest services team can, can help you get that. And while Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit, we absolutely long for his return. And until then, to remember our unity with him, that he is with us through his life, death, and resurrection, we share in the emblems of juice and bread. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, 
for us, we peel back the first clear layer of our emblems. And after taking the bread and blessing it and broke it, he gave to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Let us take and eat and pause to remember what Christ has done. dinner, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Together today, let us drink and remember his forgiveness and forgive others in like manner. sacrifice. We thank you for what you've done for us on the cross, through the tomb, and in your resurrection. We thank you for the poured out Holy Spirit so we can walk with your presence with us every day. After he'd done this, Jesus said to them, he said, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Heaven came down in the form of a baby and the weight of the world would fall upon his shoulders. And today our focus is on that same Jesus and how heaven will come down once again. Let us reflect as we close the service as Fomka sings an original song called Heaven 